0: Chapter 6, and keep your thumb in Matthew 24 as well. We're going back and forth. Um, Most of the scripture passages will be on the screen here, but if you want to mark up your Bibles uh, so that they mark your lives, that'd be good. (laughs) Uh, The church was packed, and the preacher was preaching on the return of Christ, and, and, and so he got to the point where he said, He quoted Jesus, I'm coming soon. And he preached a little while longer, and he was walking back and forth on the stage, getting more and more excited with a louder voice, "I am coming soon." And then he continued to preach, and at the culmination of a sermon, he was wrapping it up, and, and he raised his arms in his air, Aaron and he said, with all of his might, "I am coming soon," to which he stumbled off and fell into the lap of the guy in the front row. to which the pastor got up and profusely apologized, and the guy said, "Hey, no worries, man. You warned me three times. <laughs> well, Jesus warned us not three times, but in the New Testament alone, 50 times, 50 plus times that about his second coming. Christ's revelation was, giving, uh, was given to his people in order to prepare them for his return. But, but, but before he returns, he indicates that there will be extraordinary events that take place on the earth. There'll be signs, if you will. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus was teaching the Olivet Discourse, it's called, on the Mount of Olives to his disciples. In Matthew 24, he said, uh, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings, the temple's magnificent buildings. And Jesus said, Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Okay, Jesus? That would have been an incredible statement to make in that the temple had just been built six years earlier, or finished. Um, It was 400 yards wide and 500 yards long. Um, Each stone of the temple would have weighed more than a 747 jetliner, and so its destruction... Would have felt like the end of the world to the disciples. Therefore, the disciples asked Jesus, Then tell us, when will this happen, Jesus? What will the sign of your coming and the end of the age be? And then Jesus offered signs to his disciples as he offers them to us as his return is drawing near. Now we can turn to Revelation 6 which is at the end of your Bibles, obviously. Um, And these events in Revelation 6 correspond directly to what he taught in Matthew 24. The first four things that Jesus mentioned, first four signs, were the four horses of the apocalypse, or of judgment. The white horse and the rider. What was that all about? Revelation 6. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and it was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. Who is this? You might be thinking, Well, of course that's Jesus. He's on a white horse. But then your answer would be, "Eh." It's not Jesus. Most commentators... Uh, point to the fact that this, these are false Christs or a false Christ on a white horse. Someone who is posing to be the Messiah. Looks like the Messiah on the outside, but in fact is not. It is a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing. It's a deceiver. Second Corinthians, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerade, masquerades as an angel of light. Revelation 19, we're told, what the true Christ will look like when he's coming back. He too will be riding on a white horse named faithful and true. Eyes will be blazing. He will be wearing many crowns, not just one crown. A word will be coming out of a sword will be coming out of his mouth, not a bow in his hand. His robe will be dipped in blood, and it will be labeled King of Kings and Lord of Lords on his robe. This is the true Messiah. Matthew 24, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Now the 20th and 21st centuries have witnessed unprecedented rise in false religions and spirituality, alternative spiritualities. And we know people like David Koresh in Waco and Warren Jeffs from the um, fundamental uh, LDS church in Utah. And we've heard of Charles Manson. These are the obvious characters who are false messiahs, right? But when Paul was writing to his churches, he confronted false teachers that found their ranks from within the church. He addressed these false teachers as Hymenaeus and Philetus and Demas and Alexander who are posing as leaders in the church or believers in the church today entire denominations will deny the authority and the infallibility of God's unchanging word claiming that it is reforming always reforming and always adapting to our changing culture it's always changing it's relevant in that it's a good guidebook, but it isn't really the word of God and the miracles they really didn't happen and on and on 1 John, John writes uh, to us, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know that it is the last hour. This is the same John that penned the words of Revelation. John said this is the last hour in his day. These are the end times we've been living in the last days but today we're closer than yesterday and these signs continue to increase as time goes on and as the as the time comes for his return the second horse was the red horse in verse 4 another horse came out a fiery red one its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other to him was given a large sword Red symbolized the shedding of blood during wars, the removal of peace, the increase of killings. Compare that to Matthew 24, all of that discourse, verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, Jesus told his disciples, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. The 20th century saw more wartime fatalities than the previous 19 centuries before it. And I think this even includes the culture wars that we're involved in, which is resulting in bloodshed as well. The next horse was a black horse. The effects of war, namely famine and poverty. And read in verse 6, Then I heard what sounded like a voice coming from the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. Back to verse 5, The rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. These pair of scales, holding wheat and barley for a day's wages, they were not permitted to touch the oil and the wine, though. The amount of wheat and barley for a day's wages would point to skyrocketing inflation. Barley mixed with with wheat would have been a common practice for those living in poverty. They'd have to supplement the good wheat with the inexpensive barley in order to fill their bellies. Oil and wine were reserved for the rich. It was a luxurious item. It would have pointed to inequity in the last days. There will be rich and there will be dirt poor. The rich may get richer while the poor gets poorer. Matthew 24. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. The 20th century has been the worst for famine, ironically, with all of our scientific advancements. We still have starvation on record numbers. 20th century, 70 million people victims. According to the World Health Organization, as of recent, 10,000 children die every day of starvation. 400 will die as we worship this morning from starvation. That's one every 10 seconds or so. The inequity of the last days. The next horse was the pale horse. It represented death. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind. They were given power over fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Death by swords, famine, plagues, and wild beasts. Power to kill kill over one-fourth, of the earth's population. Even today, famine is breaking out in Africa and India due to the locusts, the wild beasts, if you will, insects. Locust infestation, ruining the crops, resulting in famine, resulting in death. Pestilences, plagues. Have you heard there's a pandemic? No, that'll never happen. Matthew 24, verse 6. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Verse 8. All these are the beginnings of birth pangs. The first four seals have been occurring throughout history since Christ's death and resurrection, even before. But they're increasing as, times draw, as time draws closer. The fifth seal is not a horse any longer. When the fifth seal was opened, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Chapter 13, we're told that those who refused to worship the image of the beast would be killed. Matthew 24, Jesus said, you will be handed over to be persecuted. You will be put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. And for 19 centuries, 25 million Christians died as a fulfillment of this prophecy, including the disciples themselves, But in the 20th century, and now the 21st, over 45 million disciples have died, almost twice as many as the Christians in the 19th centuries before, simply because they're followers of Jesus. And the sixth seal, this is when it gets really ugly, and seventh as well, which is in chapter eight, but sixth seal would be natural disasters. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Jesus said in Matthew twenty four, Immediately the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sea, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. John sees these cataclysmic events pointing to the final days of judgment. The stars are falling from the sky and colliding under the earth and destroying the earth. Mountains and islands are being cr- are being crumbled into the sea. In other words, all hell is breaking loose on the earth. Now, many in Revelation, as they read from chapter 1 through chapter 23, many, they, they think it's sequential, it's linear. I don't think so. We're already in chapter 6, and we're talking about the destruction of the earth, and we have so many other chapters to go. I think Revelation was written to be uh, cyclical, you know, to be like this. Over and over again, the themes were repeated and repeated. And a and little more was given to each theme. But re- regardless of how you read Revelation, cataclysmic events will result in great terror on the earth. We read in verse 15, The kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, everyone else, both slave and free, hidden caves among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us, which is a fulfillment of Hosea chapter 10. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? So aren't you glad he came to church this morning? Don't you just lift your spirits? The hills are alive with the sound of music. And things even get worse as, and more intense as chapters Continue. Why would Jesus give us a picture of the end times like this to encourage us? Again, is it the scare the snot out of us, or what? What was he thinking? I feel bad enough about myself. Why would I go to church and hear this stuff? And I believe I want to give you six quick reasons uh, from Scripture why I believe Jesus did this. First, in order to prepare us, that we may become overcomers. Like the seven churches in chapters 2, 1 and 2, and 3, 2 and 3 actually, Smyrna, Jesus said to the church in Smyrna, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days, but be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victors is crowned. You will become an overcomer. Some think that these chapters after chapter 4, they're not really relevant to us. Because after all, we're going to be raptured out of here as believers. And all this is for those poor suckers out there who refuse to repent. I don't believe that's the case, though. Namely because the idea of a pre, a rapture before the tribulation, that was unheard of before 1875. And we'll hear more about this next week. Rapture or otherwise. Rapture or tribulation, if you will. We'll talk about the Antichrist next week and such. I don't believe that's the case. I believe that the early church, I know for the first three centuries, of the early church, they didn't believe in a rapture before tribulation. They knew and expected and were going through tribulation. And it was great tribulation because some of them were beheaded. Some of them were killed in front of their family members. It was great tribulation. And there's been great tribulation ever since. Currently, there's great tribulation happening on the earth. You might say, but it's not the great tribulation. And you might be right. I hope you're right. I would love to be raptured before that. But I suspect it's an American way of thinking. God would never put us through that. Well, yes, he would, because they have been and are currently, our brothers and sisters in Christ, are suffering greatly. Jesus said in Matthew 24, "...then you'll be handed over and be persecuted and even put to death. They will hate you because you're my follower." John 16, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Peter said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But look up. Throughout history, people have suffered greatly. As martyrs, they've lost their lives. We are to prepare for the darkness while we're still in the light. We are to be prepared. Which leads into the second reason why Jesus gave us this revelation. To test us and to purify his true church. If we're not prepared for the tribulation, any tribulation, if we think we're going to get raptured out of here and rescued at the last minute, then I think we'll be quite surprised when we're not. In the same way that someone who enlists for the Marines or the Navy SEALs they think, man, I'm going to go and be a tough guy or a tough girl, and and you enlist in boot camp, and you don't know what hits you on day one, and you think, man, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here. If they're not prepared, they're going to quit before they get very far. Matthew 24, Jesus said, At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Many will turn away from their faith. Are people today turning away from the faith of their childhood? for any reason because of what's happening in the world or because of the lies they're being taught? Are people turning away from their faith today? Is there a loss of love and growing hatred in our world due to false beliefs? After COVID is completed and and pandemic is no longer, at least this pandemic, I, I believe that we'll be... I wonder what the church will look like. Will the church be stronger? Will, be, will there be more people in churches because they become more buckled down and they dug their heels in and they're just ready to dive into the God's church and support their brothers and sisters in Christ? Or will their new normal feel pretty hunky-dory after their little church hiatus? I think it's a refinement happening. I think that's what what persecution and tribulation brings, a refinement. Who's the true church? Who are the truly committed? Third reason, Jesus wants us to fix our eyes on things above, not on temporary things. One day, an ambitious university student was talking to his older uncle. Joe, the uncle, asked, tell me what you plan to do after you graduate from college. Oh, I guess I'll start my career, said Joe. Joe, "'Well, that sounds prudent,' said the uncle. "'What then?' "'Well, then I guess I'll get married and have a family.' "'Well, that's wonderful,' said the old man. "'What then?' "'Well,' replied Joe, "'I guess I'll make my fortune.' "'Good for you,' said the uncle. "'What then?' "'Then I'll buy a country home and retire.' "'Well, that sounds inviting,' said the uncle. "'What then?' "'Well, then I suppose one day I'll die.' "'Oh, that's true,' said the uncle. "'What then?' Romans eight, or I mean, Jesus Paul said, "Fix your eyes on things above." Romans eight, I consider that our present sufferings in this earth are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul kept his eyes fixed on things above, the glory awaiting him. C.S. Lewis wrote, "Aim at heaven, and you'll get both earth; you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you get neither." Fourth reason. I think Jesus wants us to deepen our trust in Him. Now, we'll eventually get to the point when we read about the mark of the beast on the hands, and we're already freaking out now because we're here in in Sweden. In Sweden, we see there are certain electronic chips and hands which you don't need a credit card anymore, and that's the mark of the beast. And if you take the mark of the beast, then you'll no longer buy and sell and trade, and oh my goodness, what's going to happen then? Jesus said, I'll tell you what's going to happen then. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers in the field. Don't I take care of them? Don't I feed them? So you don't have to worry either, because I'll take care of you. How much greater, how much more important are you than the birds in the air and the lilies in the field? And yet I care for them as well. Didn't Jesus care for the Israelites for 40 years when manna fell down from the sky? Don't worry about what you eat or drink or wear. Or how about the Passover, when God's wrath and judgment was being poured out on Egypt? The blood over their door frames passed over, and they're protected from God's wrath and judgment. In chapter 9, we'll read about the seal on the heads of believers, which is the Holy Spirit, the seal of the Spirit. We'll read, they are the agents of judgment unleashed against, on the earth. We're told not to harm the grass or the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. We will have the seal of God because we have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we won't experience God's wrath or judgment. We will experience persecution and opposition from humans, but how much worse the wrath of God as it's being poured out on all evil on Satan, on those who reject God. Now, we'll be either protected because we'll be raptured out of here at that time, or we will be protected through divine protection like the Israelites were. Fifthly, and then just two more and I'm done, to assure us that justice is coming. Jesus wants us to know justice is coming. How long, O oh Lord? How long until you avenge these people who killed us just a little while longer he said Romans 12 he said do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge I will repay says the Lord many have a hard time believing in a God who would be so judgmental filled with wrath well I would have a hard time believing in a God who wasn't at at the end of the world when all rights will be made wrong. I mean, how would you feel if your child or grandchild was bullied day after day, mistreated, abused, and would you do nothing about it? Or would you not have this holy indignation to do something about it, to make the right wrong? Well, as a parent or grandparent, you'd want to make it right, the right wrong, right? You'd want to do something about it. Not because you're so filled with hatred toward the the opposition or but because you have so much love for your child and grandchild god's wrath is not against even our enemies today god's wrath is against the evil that is destroying and deceiving the enemies of god today but one day if they say no to god over and over again for all their lives then god will have nothing more to say to them other than thy will be done to assure us justice is coming. And then finally, God wants us to get busy doing the work of God. And that's why he gives us these signs. Again, God's wrath is directed against evil, but while his mercy is extended to his enemies today, we're told in 2 Peter, he is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God so loved the world, and the proof of his mercy and his grace is in Matthew twenty four fourteen. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus will not be content to come until everyone has a chance to hear. All nations have opportunity because he loves even those who are his enemies as we once were. Matthew 25 speaks of the sheep and the goats. After the Olivet Discourse in 24, it talks about the sheep and the goats, and the parable of the ten virgins, and the parable of the talents. All three of these parables, in response to Matthew 24, are you prepared? What are you doing as a result of knowing that he's coming back? Will you be a faithful steward? Will you have oil in your lamps? Uh, will you take care of the poor and those in, in trouble? The sheep and the goats said, what are you doing? According to the World Christian Encyclopedia, five years ago, 82,000 people were coming to Christ every day, which is by far the largest number in all of history. But now, due to this pandemic, just in the recent past, Campus Crusade unleashed a blitz on Africa with a Jesus film. And one of our missionaries who oversees this project in Africa Their goal was to reach 100 million people in Africa, and they reached 166 million in four months. 4.4 million decisions for Christ, and 720 churches were planted between April and July due to a pandemic. Don't tell me God's not working. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon! And you know what? I didn't stumble and fall on my wife's lap, but at least I warned you. And Jesus actually warned us 50 times in the New Testament that he's coming soon. And every day, tomorrow will be one day sooner. Are you prepared? Are you ready? Are you faithfully serving him? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this church called Countryside Covenant Church and and, uh, the people that represent this church. Thank you, Lord, for your grace upon us and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you've revealed yourself to us and continue to reveal yourself to us. Thank you, Lord, that perfect love casts out fear and we have nothing to fear because you are on the throne, and you will walk through us and provide for us, whether we are raptured before all this takes place or whether we have to walk through it. I don't know the answer to that. You do, though, and so we're ready either way. Lord, continue to use us to be your light of hope to a dark world. Amen.